This talk was given by Vanessa Zuise Goddard Sensei. Zuise Sensei is a lay teacher in the Mountains and Rivers Order. This talk, like all of her talks, is offered free of charge. If you'd like to make a donation to find out more about her teachings or to join her mailing list, please visit her website at vanessazuisegoddard.org. Thanks for listening. Faced with so much that is impossible to understand, standing right at the edge of the mortality of everything we know and are and may come to be, what else can we do but create? Make something. Make it with love and clarity. Make it out of desperation that turns into tenderness. Make it out of the deepest part of ourselves, present everywhere and nowhere. Tonight I want to speak about the ground, um, or rather the, the frame upon which this renewal of vows ceremony, Fusatsu, takes place. And I wanted to take a, a step back, in a sense, to widen the lens and look at the, at the space, the sacred space that makes this ceremony possible. And I don't mean so much the, the physical space of this zendo, although I don't exclude it either, but the space that allows for the generation, for the creation of a reality in which atonement and the invocation of the names of Buddha and the renewal of our bodhisattva vows becomes possible. It is the space at the edge of the mortality of everything, as the late painter Charles Chu said. And although it sounds a little bit dramatic, I think it is very true. We would call it the edge of impermanence. And that is the space in which we constantly create And Chu is saying, well, if we're going to do that, let's make it with love and with clarity. If we have to make it out of desperation or fear, that becomes tenderness. And those of you who were at our Beyond Fear of of Differences meeting this afternoon know that we very much created such a space out of our collective um, sincerity in our desire to um, meet one another in a real way. And so to me, this is the the space in which the, the ordinary, the everyday, is revealed as sacred. You could say it's revealed in its true form, which is holy, from the word whole. So to speak about sacred space, I think first we have to say that it is, in one sense, differentiated. The only way we can speak of a space as sacred is by comparing it to a space that is not. It is also a space that is dynamic because it is in relationship to everything else. It is not an absence, waiting to be, um, waiting for a presence. It is not a void needing to be filled. 
It is space that is in relationship to itself, to those who occupy it, and to every other space around it. And so, in other words, a sacred space does not become sacred inherently or abstractly. Every element of that space, from its location to each of the um, objects in it, every action, every gesture that happens within it, helps to create that very sacredness. A sacred space also has a threshold, the passage through which we move from the ordinary to the sacred, which is really just one way of speaking about it. Is there really a passage? But as we cross the, the, the threshold to the zendo, every day, a couple times a day at least, we intend to leave our preoccupations behind. That is what we want to practice. This is why we stop and we bow before entering. This is why we each enter very deliberately at the beginning of Ango, why we stand at that threshold and we gather our minds and we offer incense and we invoke our intent for those three months as our name is read and we take our place among the Sangha. And we're saying, I am here, I am aware, and I am preparing my body and mind to do something different than what I did before. I am turning towards what is whole, because that is the reality I wish to live in. Someone sent me a photo of a, of a pilgrimage site, um, a sacred mountain, really, in Sri Lanka called Sripada, which means sacred foot. And it has a, a rock formation on its top that has a, a deep indentation and the, the shape of a foot. And so in Buddhism, it is thought to be the footprint of the Buddha. Christians um, and Muslims believe it's the footprint of Adam. And Hindus, the footprint of Shiva. And uh, pilgrims from all over the world travel to it, and you're supposed to, to reach it at sunrise by walking barefoot over 5,500 steps, stone steps. And at the top is a sign, the photograph that I had, the, the sign was in English, and it said, Be silence. Be silence and let that silence create through you. And the thing about sacred space is that it's not just a a physical location in space, but it's also a location in time. I was talking to a resident about Shabbat in Judaism, and they were telling me uh, there's a a well-known author and rabbi, Rabbi Abraham Joshua Heschel, and he speaks of the observance of this day as this day of rest, as the creation of a sanctuary in time. I love that. So if Christianity has its cathedrals, which are a spatial acknowledgement of sacredness, of the divine, Shabbat is a cathedral in time. A space in time distinct from the everyday in, in which work is interrupted. 
and, it, and your, your, your attention, your body, your mind is turned toward observance, toward uh, family. And I thought of Zazen, I thought of liturgy, which is not exactly different from the everyday, but it's also not quite it either. We can make it every day with um, a lack of awareness, a lack of intent. And yet, even then, I would say that because of, of what the container is, that it, that it creates, both zazen and liturgy, it's not every day. And so this evening, we have set aside time to stop and reflect and renew. Acknowledging that something becomes possible when we make room for that reflection and atonement and observance and reverence, that something is created that did not exist before. That is the power of our minds. And so every element comes together within that differentiated time and space, contributing to the creation of a very particular reality. We, we essentially have invited all the, the, in this case, ten manifestations of Buddha into this room. And we are, um, once again, as we do every day, very uh, directly and together saying, these are the vows, these are the ways in which I want to live my life, I want to conduct my life. I don't want to forget this, so let me say this again in front of the Buddha. And everything from the zabutons, the instruments, our vows, the language, the chants that we do are creating that language of sacredness. That is why you know, we say, you know, don't just plop the zafus on the zabutons. Don't adjust the zabuton with your feet. Take care. Be reverent. Take care of them as you would of your own body. And we could uh, chant the names of the Buddha while we're doing the laundry. We could recite the four vows as we're uh, in the car heading off to work, and it would be good, and it would be powerful. But what happens when we do it here, like this, facing the altar with the Buddha and, and Prajnaparamita and Kuan Yin flanked by Mahaprajapati? What happens when we do it after having atoned for the harm that we've caused, willfully or not, through our actions, our words, our thoughts? And what about our posture? What about that sacred space that is our body? As we chant, we're kneeling, hands in gasho. We are that vulnerable, that open. To that subtle communication that takes place when we, when we orient, when we turn toward wholeness. All evil karma ever committed by me since of old, we say, 
it is old, it is beginningless, as the second line says. It is both personal and universal. It is the stream that we swim in, all of us, that we have always swum in. But it's not our fault, this evil karma. And yet, we are responsible. And we are forgiven. As Katagiri Roshi said, in the relative, we're always responsible. In the absolute, we're always forgiven. But how is that? How does atoning in the sacred space change the stream of our karma? Does it change it? Being forgiven, how do we take the next step, the next action, speak the next word? As we were saying this afternoon, how do we own and not blame? How do we atone for, not brush aside? Any ritual that acknowledges sacredness is a manifest wish to live within reality. And not because the world, the everyday world, is not reality, but because we forget that it is. And we we cover it up with our confusion and our pain. So tonight we're saying, for this brief time, I will abide in reality. I will renew my vows, reminding myself of how I want to live my life. And as we do this, this hall witnesses our aspiration, our commitment, our practice. Everything in this space bows with us. When Dada Roshi died, I was the liturgist for part of the, the funeral services. And in one of the dedications, we say the lines, uh, we said, the lines, may his vows be fully realized and may we realize the Buddha way together. And I remember it, re- it stayed with me, and I remember thinking, but he's dead. How are his vows going to be realized? And as I brought that question to Shugen Roshi, I saw for an instant that Roshi's vows, that Roshi's vows didn't need his physical presence to be realized. They weren't about him, although they didn't exclude him either. And just as they were when he was alive, they were dynamic. They were not static. In our asking that those vows be fully realized, we were saying they continue those vows. And they need to continue to develop. They must continue to develop. How? Through us. Through us. That is the responsibility. And I said, you know, so that that sacred space is a differentiated space, essentially distinct from other spaces, but is that really so? Is the laundry room any less holy than the zendo? Where is sacredness to be found, ultimately? 
And if we say there's no difference at all, then what is the point of doing ceremonies like this? If we say there's a difference, is it that we're bound by space and time? Is it that we're dependent on form, on a location, a set of gestures to let us know this is important, this deserves our attention? And still, we're doing fusatsu here in this very particular way. We're not doing it downstairs. We're not doing it in a mall. Maybe we should. That would be interesting to see what would happen if we did fusatsu in a mall. But we don't, and why don't we? What happens in this um, co-creation? Because anybody that has walked past the zendo, an empty zendo, has just walked by in the hallway, if they're paying attention, feels something, is arrested by something about this space. What is it? And so that deepest part of ourselves, present everywhere and nowhere, that Chu speaks of, that is really what we are invoking tonight. Because ultimately, we live life through presence, not absence. We live it through connection, not separation. And so liturgy like this centers us. It locates us in sacred space in infinite time, so that through this point right here, this body, that connection and that presence can move outward, can go all the way back to the beginningless beginning, all the way forward to the endless end. Which is the only way that it can move. It's the only way that it abides. So please do not think that we were doing something ordinary just now. That you will go to bed unmoved, unchanged, because this is like every other night of your life. But please don't think that it's anything special either. But let's not miss what we are creating here together from that deepest, that truest part of ourselves. For more talks, to get information about Zuise Sensei's upcoming teachings, or to join her email list, please visit vanessazuisegoddard.org.